Let's pray to our great God this morning. God, you are great. God, it is a joy to be in your house this morning to worship, to stand before you and know that we stand in your love and in your grace, in your power and in your might, in your goodness, loose and alive in our lives and in this world. Jesus, how great are you, our God. We worship you. We praise you. We lay our lives before you and ask that indeed you would fashion us, you would shape us, you would influence us, you would build us into the people that you desire us to be, a people that reflects your own heart. Speak to us through the preaching and teaching of your words. Speak to us through the book of Haggai. Meet us at the table as we receive you in bread and wine and body and blood. Help us to be open to your power and your word and your grace in our lives. Jesus, how great are you, how great are you, our God. We worship you, we praise you, and we pray this all in your powerful name. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? God told the people of Judah to go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, and build his house. But the people of Judah didn't make God's temple a priority and left it in ruins. Stop talking and start doing, because the time is now. All right, well, we do start the new sermon series, and uh, it is a good one. It is exciting. It is good stuff. It comes from the book of Haggai, or Haggai, depends how you want to pronounce it. It is a little book. It's a small book, and it comes from the Old Testament. So it's a book that you probably have never heard of. Anyone heard of the book of Haggai before? You're like, so, okay, some of you, you've looked in your table of contents, and you've seen it, right? You're like, what is that? What is that weird name? Okay, this, this is the whole book. That's it. That's, that's the entire book of the book of Haggai. It's this short little book in the Old Testament. It is only two chapters. So for some of you, you're like, oh, I should read my Bible, but it's so big and intimidating. The book of Haggai is small and welcoming and invitational because it's only how many chapters? Two chapters. So you're all going to go home and read the book of Haggai hopefully this week. It's, uh, it is something that we're going to be spending. There's so much in those two chapters that we're going to actually be looking at it over the next four weeks, digging into it and looking and trying to understand what is God doing in and through the prophet Haggai, prophet Haggai, who wrote the book uh, uh, Haggai. So um, I want to give you, though, I want to start off with just a little bit of context to the book because it is a book that you don't necessarily hear a lot of or it's not really preached on a lot, this book of Haggai. So the book of Haggai, again, is in the Old Testament, And it starts off like this in the first verse. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, love these names, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Uh, So this book starts in the second year of King Darius. That actually tells us a lot 
what that tells us is exactly when in the history of the Jewish people this book takes place. It takes place before Jesus, but far enough into the story that a lot has actually happened. Previous to this book, the people of Israel have gone through some significant turmoil and trouble. Okay? Big time trouble. They're coming out of something called the Babylonian exile. What happened is a couple, many, many decades before this book, the people of Israel, God's people, began looking around at their neighbors and saying, boy, the neighbors are doing really cool stuff. They're worshiping really cool gods. They're really powerful. We should worship the same gods, and maybe we'll be cool and powerful too. This does not go so well. God says, look, if you want to worship their gods, fine. I'll let them uh, dominate and control you. So God allows the neighboring nations to actually conquer the kingdom, his, his people, the kingdom of Israel. And so there's this big empire called the Babylonian Empire that comes in and it demolishes the city of Jerusalem. It demolishes the temple which is huge. The temple in the Old Testament is the center of Jewish culture. It is the center of Jewish government. It is the center of Jewish faith. And so for the Babylonians to come in and demolish the temple is to say, our God is better than your God. You are now going to be our slaves. And so they rip them out of the land of Israel and they spread them across their empire. And then the Jewish people at this time, as they're spread throughout the empire, this is called the Babylonians. Babylonian exile. And it's a real low point. It's a real low point in the Jewish story, the Jewish history. Because they're looking around and saying, wow, we miss our homeland. We miss our God. We miss our temple and our culture and our heritage. We miss that which means to be Jewish. And so one famous guy goes to uh, uh, the king at the time. What happens is the Babylonian Empire actually gets swallowed up by a bigger empire, the Persian Empire. You tracking with me? So far, so good. Persian Empire is now in control. They've taken over the Babylonian Empire. Famous guy goes to the king of Persia, King Darius, and says, Hey, I want to go back home. I'm Jewish, and I want to rebuild my town. I want to rebuild my home. I want my family to come back. Are you cool with that? And the guy says, yeah, actually, I'm okay with that. I'll set you up, and I'll, I'll help you out there. As long as you continue to pay tribute to me, I'll let you do your thing. And so that guy goes back, and he rebuilds the, t- the, the, the city of Jerusalem. His name was, anyone know? Shout it out if you know. I'll be like, star if you get it. Yeah, you don't, okay. Anyone else besides Pastor Bob? Fine. Nehemiah, Nehemiah. You ever heard of Nehemiah before? It's another book in the Bible. It's another book in the Bible. Nehemiah goes home and he rebuilds the city of Jerusalem. And at the same time, uh, he partners with a priest. The priest's name is Ezra. Guess what? Ezra also has a book in the Bible. Okay? So Ezra and Nehemiah build the city back up. They redefine once more what it means to be Jewish. And they establish the Jewish nation. Things are looking good. Things are feeling good. And in the process, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra say, Hey guys, we got to start building the temple. we got to get the temple back because that's the center of our faith, our culture, and really who we are as Jewish people. And so they get the architects and they get the plans and they start laying things out. And people are like, Okay, this is good. We should do this. This is, this is who we are. And so they lay the foundation and they get all settled and they get all established and they're laying the foundations for the temple. And then they're like, you know, 
There's a lot of other stuff, though, that needs to be done, too. So before we get too far along in the temple, we should really spend a little more time building up the gates. We should spend a little more time on on the streets. And we should probably build some houses that we can live in. and, And before you know it, time begins to pass. And what started as rebuilding the city and rebuilding the kingdom of God centered in the Jewish temple and in the Jewish culture and in the Jewish faith as a people dedicated to God, time begins to stretch and people get distracted and all of a sudden they slip into bad habits and bad priorities. They start chasing after other things. And 16 years goes by without the most important centerpiece to what God is trying to do, building his temple, establishing the Jewish faith. Sixteen years goes by, and nothing happens. He's got a bunch of weeds and rubble and dandelions growing where the temple should be. God raises up Haggai to speak. He raises up this prophet Haggai and he sends him to the Jewish people. He sends him to Jerusalem. He says, look, the people keep saying, the people are, are, are saying, they're gathered together and they're saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The people are gathering together and they're like, yeah, that's a good thing. We know we should do that, but there are other things that are more important that we want to prioritize and the other things we've got to make sure that we're chasing after and getting set on before we do this. And what's amazing about this is that God, God names this. He says the time, this is what they're saying. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What's amazing in this specific verse, this is the first time definitively God is saying the people. Not my people. God is saying the people. The people are so distracted. The people have slipped into other things, other priorities, other attentions. They have slipped and they've stopped being my people. Because my people know and understand the importance and the centrality of building up my temple. Because the temple is, is a manifestation of the Jewish faith and all that I am doing in this world. So he says, the people, the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. He raises up. Haggai, and Haggai as a prophet speaks a really true and penetrating word to, to, to the Jewish people. This is what God says in verse 4. He says through Haggai, Is it time? Is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while this house, my house, my temple lies in ruins? Now you got to know there's a lot there in that word paneled houses. What God is doing is he's peeling back and and he's getting rid of all the excuses and he's getting to the heart of the issue and he's saying, look, you're so busy building and living and chasing down paneled houses. Well, mine lies in ruins. My house has weeds and dandelions growing. There's a bunch of rubble over there. And you guys are so busy building a new deck, building a place for the jacuzzi, Adding the extra bath, 
while my house lies in ruins. God is pointing out and naming the fact, look, paneled housing in the Jewish context, paneled housing in the Jewish world, that means luxury, comfort. This isn't you're building houses so that you have a place to live. This is you are building a house and then you are adding on to the house. You're putting panels on your house. Cedar strips from Lebanon, as the Bible would say. You're paneling your homes while my house lies in ruins. It even He really gets after it in verse 9. If you go down to verse 9, he says this, My house lies in ruins while all of you run off to your houses. He just kind of gets at it, doesn't he? You're not like walking to your house. You're running to your house. You are, you are hurrying after. You are chasing down and happen to be running right past my house, by the way, which is lying in ruins. You are booking it. Your time, your energy, your resources, all that you have, that margin in life is being focused on and, and channeled toward building up paneled houses. And what God does is he gets to the real heart of the issue. He's getting to their priorities. Priorities that have slipped and fallen by the wayside. He even goes farther. He says, look, consider this. He says, look, now therefore the Lord of hosts says this, consider how you fared. He says, look, you've been chasing after these paneled houses. You've been running and doing this right now. Consider how life has been lately. I mean, take a moment, stop, and think about what your life has been like lately. I mean, seriously, you've sown much. You've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. I love this. This is so good, this last part. You that earn wages, earn wages to put them in a bag with holes. It says, consider. Consider what life has been like when we allow our priorities to slip. What's life like? What's life like when you get spinning your wheels, chasing after all this stuff? This other stuff, this easy stuff. I mean, it's easy to prioritize things that we enjoy, things that make us feel good. It's easy to prioritize the stuff that, 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 that meets a certain need in the moment. When you step back and you consider how life looks on the bigger picture, though, you begin to see that life isn't all that, it cracked, that it's cracked up to be. It, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And it's frustrating. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, ourselves living paycheck to paycheck and just scraping by. There's never enough time in the day. There's never enough money in the bank. There's never enough this. And, and, and we're always striving after that. And, 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 and because we chase after these paneled houses, because we chase after stuff that doesn't quite fit with what God is trying to do in the world, God steps in through Haggai and challenges 
the people to examine their lives and say, how has your life been like when you chase after things apart from me? Not so good. Not so hot. I know in my own life that when I find that my priorities have slipped, more often than not, it's, it's innocently done, even. More often than not, when my priorities have slipped, it's, it's because there are other important things. And yes, they're good and they're valuable. Yes, they are worth pursuing. But once you begin to pursue it a little bit, that's good. Then you pursue it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And soon, most of your time and your energy and your resources have gone to priorities that may not matter as much as we once thought. And we have lost sight of the things that truly matter, that God is in our world, a part of our lives, and calling us to be active in building His kingdom. And so years go by, and it takes someone like Haggai to stand up and say, What? What are you guys doing? You've let your priorities slip. Consider how your life has been like, and that will tell you. Haggai speaks this word. The challenge that is passed along to you and me, that which we inherit is this question, this understanding. It's, it's, It's getting at, consider how our lives have fared. Are we prioritizing the right things, the good things, the godly things? Are we prioritizing the kingdom of heaven? Are we prioritizing what God wants for me and my family and my community? Or have I allowed some priorities to slip in and gain traction and I really spend more time doing this? You see, it's easy to prioritize sitting down at the TV after a long day and not investing in my relationship with my wife. That's easy for me. And it's not that TV is bad. I love TV. But when I prioritize it, when I chase it down like a paneled house, when I run to that TV at the cost of running past my own wife. That's a problem. And I can see that it's a problem because I consider my life and I look at my life and I see that my relationship with my wife begins to deteriorate. And we nag at each other and we have problems and things don't fit well. And it takes, the, it takes the Bible to speak into my life and say, consider how I've fared. Am I prioritizing the right things, the godly things, the things that God has called me to value and prioritize? Or have I succumbed to easy things? No, God is good. God is great. God is gracious. Because he does something that isn't necessarily comfortable when he does this but it is meaningful, powerful, and it actually works in our lives. If you guys, have you ever had a friend who's ever sat down with you and told you you messed up, you did something silly or stupid? You ever had that before? You ever had that good of a friend that they will intervene in your life to say, hey man, can we talk about, talk about this? You just you seem like you're having a rough time. Things aren't going so well. More than simply, how are you doing? But how are you doing? 
how are you doing in life? What are you, prior, what are you chasing after? What's, what, what, what constitutes your life right now? Because i got to tell you, when I look at life right now, I'm seeing some stuff in your life, and I'm just nervous, and I'm scared for you, and I know that your life could be so much more, and I want that for you. So can we talk? That's what God is doing. He's speaking a word that calls us to account and accountability because we need it. So often we need that word. And yet he doesn't stop there. If you've ever been in that conversation with your friend, then you know, like, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, okay, yep, I get it. Okay, thank you. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. You ever hear that before? You ever say that before? I needed to hear that. Thank you. Rather than condemn us, rather than, than belittle us, rather than God being like, yeah, you needed to hear that. Duh. God does something incredible once again. He loves you enough to speak a word that says, consider your life and your priorities. And then he follows that word up with specific and simple steps towards life change. This is how he does it for the people of of Israel. He says, look, consider how you fared. Go up to the hills, bring the wood, and build the house. Yeah, but, 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 but what about this? And I don't know that we have enough money. And what are the king of Persia going to think if we start doing that? And, and how are we? There's not enough people to do it. Look. Go up to the hills. Go get some wood. Build the house. Yeah, but how is that going to work? And what are the logistics? And how, we, how do we get started? And there should be a big plan. And, and there's got to be like, right, 15 steps to building this. And Look. Go up to the hills. Go get the wood. Start building the house. So often in life, life change feels complicated and overwhelming. It feels like it's too big and too much. Like we'll never get there. We look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, I want to change that in my life. I want a better marriage. I want to parent differently. I want to be more healthy. I want a better work environment. I want a better attitude. I want to get rid of my, my feelings of anger and frustration and malice. I want, to, I want to experience life change, but it's so overwhelming. How am I going to do that? And, and it's going to take forever and all the excuses start to roll. God speaks a word that says, look, go up to the hills. Go get the wood. Start building the house. We're going to figure this out as we go. We just need to get started. We got to get some traction here. If you want to experience life change, if you want to experience what I can do in and through you, here are simple, basic things that is going to walk you towards the future I have in store for you. doesn't need to be all that complicated. You don't need to get bent out of shape. Just go up to the hills. Go get some wood. Let's build this temple. Let's be about the business and the reality that I would have for your life. I appreciate in this book and, and what God does in it, because he's willing to, to, to ask me and you 
to consider our lives and our priorities. And then he invites us to say, okay, if there are things that need to change, what are the simple, easy, basic things that we can do to move us towards that future? What are the simple, easy, basic things we can do to move us towards that future? You've actually already done one. You came to church this morning. You came here this morning. That is a simple, easy, basic, concrete, real thing that you have done. If you want to begin to experience life change, if you want to find healing and hope and renewal, if there's stuff in your life that you got to change, you did a great first step. Thank you. Now keep going. Go get the wood. Let's build a house. It doesn't need to be overwhelming. It doesn't need to be super complicated. It can be simple and accessible. I think in my own life that me and my wife started to try to change our health and well-being. We started to change our diet. And I'll tell you, it's intimidating. You ever try to change your diet? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And it's overwhelming because am I going to do this diet? Are we going to do that diet? Are we going to do this diet? Are we going to do that diet? And then I got to do this exercising thing that goes along with the diet in order to make the diet work. And so all of a sudden I got to do this on Tuesdays and Thursdays and that on Fridays and Mondays and this I got to do right? What it took for me to start really looking and saying life change needs to happen. God spoke to me and my wife and said, look, I want you to be healthy. He did that through his word. And so we started just doing simple, practical, basic things to move towards healthiness. We started asking each other, hey, you worked out today. We started buying vegetables. That's a simple, practical thing, isn't it? Go buy some veggies. And over time, because we got some traction on some simple, basic stuff, we began to experience and continue to experience life change. There are a lot of things that the Bible points out in our own lives that calls us to account and accountability and asks us to examine our priorities. It might not be health in your life. It could be your marriage. It could be relationships. It could be work. It could be sharing Jesus with people. Have you let that slip? Let that priority go? Yeah, I'll get around to that. I'll get around to sharing my faith with others. I'll get around to to, to witnessing. I'll get around to that. That's cool. I'll get around to it. No, 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 no. Look, the time is now to move towards life change. The time is now to make new decisions and reaffirm the right priorities. Not to prioritize the easy things, but the good, right, God-honoring things. That time is now. So we're going to do that, like, right now. If you got a half sheet, pull out your half sheet. You got your half sheets with you? Hopefully you got one on the way in. If you didn't, you can grab one on the way out and do this when you get home. Flip to the back side. We are going to spend time uh, considering our lives. Really actually considering how we have fared. Looking at our priorities. Thinking about it. And asking the question of what, is, what are the right things God wants for my life right now? And what are the simple, practical, basic, elementary stuff that I need to do to start moving my life in that direction? We're going to take a couple minutes to do this. The invitation is truly pray over this. 
Take it seriously. I invite you, please, you will get out of this what you put into this, okay? So if you do this genuinely, you bring it home, you hang it on a refrigerator, you tuck it in your Bible, you put it on your, in your car and your windshield, take it seriously. Consider your life and examine what steps can you take to start building the temple because the time is now to see change. Let's not put it off any longer. Let's do that. Take some time.